Let us then return to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9. And we're going to look at these verses 23 to 43 that we read previously. And the title I'd like to give to our meditation is Encouraging Times. Encouraging Times. And we all need to be encouraged, all of us. And it's good to go to the Word of God and to find our encouragement in uh, God's Word. Last week we looked at Saul's conversion experience and what a wonderful and glorious experience it was. And humanly speaking, under God, of course, we believe that it was a notable conversion that the effects of we are still uh, under today because Paul indeed was a, a mighty Christian and he was mightily used by the Lord to build up the cause and kingdom of Christ in his day and in the day that we live in at the moment. Now we deliberately uh, finished our reading last week at verse 22, because if we read Galatians chapter 1 correctly, there is a sizable gap between the time span between verses 22 and 23. They are presented here side by side, but if we have understood Galatians chapter 1, we do believe that Paul left Damascus for some time and he went into Arabia and he spent some time there, perhaps around three years. And it was a time of relaxation in some sense. It was a time when he would commune with the Lord and the Lord would commune with him. It was a time when things were revealed to him, and we might say without in any sense being derogatory, that he fine-tuned his theology. And it was a preparation time for him before he would embark upon his principal ministry, which was to be a preacher to the Gentiles. So he had a spell out of the limelight, away from all, where he spent some time, and then he came back to Damascus, and he escaped. And then after that, he went and he was introduced to the church in Jerusalem. So that's why we stopped at verse 22, and really we have a, another section here in the life and the witness of the church. And in this section that we're looking at here, we have Saul under threat of death, and he was ta taken away to Caesarea, and then to Tarsus. And from that time, the church had a, peace, a time of peace. We're told in verse 31, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort 
of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Now it is important for us to realize that the Apostle Paul or the Saul here was not a troublemaker. He was not. He didn't instigate things. But his preaching, his teaching was not acceptable to the Jews, to the Grecian Jews. Like at one time Stephen's preaching and teaching was not acceptable to the Grecian Jews. But Stephen himself was not a troublemaker and neither was Saul. And the second part of this narrative that we've read here uh, deals with the Apostle Peter. He was on some kind of evangelistic outreach. It's good to know that the gospel was going forth from Jerusalem and it was extending the borders of Jewry. And Peter was found in other places. We are told he went to Joppa and then he went to uh, uh, Lydda. And there he undertook and performed miracles. And really for tonight we want to <clears throat> have a look at the three principal uh, persons that are featured in the narrative that we have read. And we want to draw some encouragements for ourselves from the brethren, he, from the brethren that are recorded here for us. And first then, we want to look at Saul's ministry. Saul's ministry. And there are two main things that I wish to highlight about Saul's ministry. And basically, I have highlighted one of these things in the introduction. What is it? Well, he had a wonderful conversion. His life was radically transformed. His eyes were open. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to that understanding that he had been persecuting Christ by persecuting his people. And it was a, truly an upside-down experience for him. And we know that when he was taken into Damascus, he was in the synagogue, and he was preaching and teaching his newfound faith, no doubt with extreme passion and a desire that others would come to serve the Savior as he was doing. But also, there was a time when he had to retire, and he had to leave the hustle and the bustle of the evangelistic endeavors and outreach and all that was associated with that, and he had to retire, and he had to go into seclusion, and he had to draw near to the Lord in a way that he couldn't possibly do if he was going to carry on in his busy and hectic uh, evangelistic outreach and endeavors. And this is something that it was necessary for him. Saul, of course, had a tremendous commission put upon him by the great king and head of the church. He was going to be the principal apostle that would bring the gospel to all the known world of that day. And that was a mighty task, and he had to be prepared for it. And he had to be absolutely certain about the gospel that he was going to proclaim. And things had to be revealed to him, because he does tell us 
for instance, in Galatians, that the gospel was not uh, revealed to him by people teaching it to him. It was revealed by revelation. And this was necessary for him in order that when the time came when he was, if you like, set forth on these three missionary journeys, that he would be fully equipped and that he would be able to sustain a, an intense and demanding ministry. He had to know the gospel. He had to know not just the ABCs, but he had to know everything about it. He had to be able to counter arguments. He had to be able to clearly present the claims of Christ upon Jew and upon Gentile. And he had to be prepared for it. And in order to be prepared, he had to withdraw. And this is what we find here. He withdrew for some time. And no doubt his theological knowledge grew. And his extensive knowledge of the Old Testament, he was able to fit it into place and to see how he was to find Christ in the whole of the Old Testament. Things had to be revealed to him. It was not going to happen overnight, and therefore he was going to have this time of seclusion, meditation, learning, and to be prepared for the great work that laid before him. And friends, that's true for all of us. We're not Saul. We don't have this tremendous overbearing commission, but there are times when we have to retire, we have to think, we have to meditate, we have to pray, we have to call upon the living God. We hear so much, we read so much, but do we pray so much? And do we stop and think and meditate and muse over these wonderful things that we find in the Bible? Or are we too busy? Are we too active? Well, there's some times when we've simply got to draw aside. We've got to clear the desk. We've got to clear the diary. We've got to get intimate with God. We've got to go on our knees. We've got to cry out to him, O oh Lord, reveal thyself. O oh Lord, open mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. There's so much in this book. There's so much that we, we have to learn, and we'll never learn all of it. But friends, we must be diligent, and the time must come, maybe, when we've got to look at our lives and say, enough and go into a time of seclusion. Jesus had to do it with his own disciples. He found it difficult because people wouldn't give him any time, wouldn't give him any space. And maybe this is one reason why the Apostle Paul had to withdraw for uh, three years, because he didn't have that almost three-year experience that we believe the disciples had. The disciples spent around three years closely associated with Jesus and following and attending his ministry and hearing him teach and preach and to do all these things. They were with him. And of course, his ministry, his lifestyle, all the things that he said in their earshot would have had an effect upon them. But Saul didn't have that. And that was one reason why he had to go and leave everything behind. He was a man of action. 
He had to learn that before he could go forth ultimately to do good to the Gentiles and to the end of the earth, he had to sit at the Master's feet. And maybe this is something that you need to consider to withdraw. Oh, we're not talking about abandoning the public means of grace. No, no, no. We're not saying that for one moment, but there are things in our lives that we must look at and evaluate them. And maybe we can drop this activity or drop that activity and use the time instead where we come before God. Open our hearts, cry unto the living God to be broken before him. Would that not be something? Does God not delight to see the broken heart? Blessed are the poor in spirit. It seems to be impressed upon me these days. Blessed are the poor in spirit. How many of us are poor in spirit? Jesus says they're blessed. How many of us are overflowing in the spirit? But maybe we should be more broken. Maybe this is what's required for us. This is something for us to consider. Before Saul was going to be a preacher, he had indeed to withdraw and to be near alone with Christ. But I do believe there's another lesson we can learn from Saul's life, and we did hint at it uh, last week. But it reemerges here in this new section. What is it? Well, we noticed in the first section that we looked at last Lord's Day morning that he went and he associated with the church. The Lord Jesus Christ told him to go into Damascus, and he was telling him to go into, uh, to be with the believers. And he was going to direct Ananias to minister to Saul. And we didn't read it this week, but we read it last week, verse 19. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Here was Saul, who had an experience that none of them had. And in some sense, he excelled them, even in his, in his short experience that he had of Christ. He would would have excelled the experience of the other believers. Yet he was quite happy to be associated with the disciples at Damascus. He wanted fellowship. He wanted to be with the people of God. He wanted to attend, yes, the means of grace like this, but he also wanted to be with the disciples that he might share fellowship with them because they were one-minded. They were together. There was unity and there was harmony. That's what happened in Damascus. He went into the wilderness. He went into Arabia. He came back to Damascus. He had to leave Damascus. And then what happens? He goes to Jerusalem and he wants to do exactly the same thing. He wants to be with the people of God. He's a child of God. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to be with others who are of the same mind. Saul who was to be 
arguably the greatest, most exercised Christian. He was delighted to be associated with the humble believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it be in Damascus or whether it be in Jerusalem, the, the home church, as it were. He wanted to be with them. There's a lesson, surely, friends. There's a lesson for us. Christians love to get together. Saul was not one who stood off to the sideline. He was full on. He saw the people of God. We don't know what they were like. No doubt they were far from perfect. But he wanted to be with them. He wanted to share with them. He wanted to grow with them. He wanted to be blessed by them. He wanted to be able to bless them. He simply wanted to be with them. And he was not ashamed to gather with the local church and to throw his lot in with them while he was there. That's what he wanted to do. And we can learn from him. There was no standing off. Saul saw the people of God there. And things weren't easy for them in Jerusalem at this time. He can remember the way that he was treating the church when he was in Jerusalem. And he can remember how difficult he made it for them. And nothing has changed. Yes, Saul was converted, but it was not easy to be a Christian in Jerusalem at this time. And Saul wanted to be with them. Is this something that speaks to us? We should desire to be with like-minded individuals. And we're not just talking about the public means of grace. Yes, we should attend them, but it's more than that. Is this us? Is this you? Or when the, the means of grace are over, when we all disperse, is that it? Is there no other desire to meet and to share with others? Saul did. He wanted. He wanted to be with the people of the Lord. He recognized that these people were God's people. These people Jesus had suffered and died for. They're my people. I want to be with them. It's my family. I want to be associated with them. Come what me. I'm prepared to put up with anything. I want to be with the people that Jesus died for. And there's a lesson for us, friends. We don't thrive as individuals away from each other. We thrive when we are together and when we share one with another. This surely is something that Saul would encourage us by his lifestyle, by his behavior. Well, secondly, again, to encourage us, we want to look at Barnabas. Barnabas, what does verse 27 tell us? 
Well, it tells us about the time when, when Saul wanted to go to the church at Jerusalem, but they were afraid of him. And we can understand that, can we not? Because Saul was a terrible character before his conversion, and they had heard about him. They knew that he went to Damascus in order to round up people and to bring them back to Jerusalem in order that they might be put in prison. And they were frightened of him. Maybe this man's an imposter. Maybe he's just coming in to infiltrate us and then to destroy us. But up steps Barnabas. In verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. We've met Barnabas before. We met him in Acts chapter 4 at the end, almost at the end of that chapter. It says this about Barnabas. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. And he sold land, and he handed the money over to the apostles that they might do with it as they saw fit. Barnabas, the son of consolation, which means exhortation or encouragement, someone wonderful to have about in a congregation, someone who's got that ministry, who can encourage people, and this is what he saw. He knew that the, the apostle Paul or Saul, he knew that Saul was genuine. He knew that indeed he was truly converted. He had been subject to his preaching. He saw what he undertook at Damascus. And he knew the persecution that awaited him in Damascus and how he had to run for his life almost. He knew that because of his preaching, the people in Damascus, or the Jews at least, hated him. And when Saul sought to join the church in Jerusalem, Barnabas introduced him. Here's a wonderful ministry. Where are the encouraging people that we need? Every one of us needs encouragement. Every congregation should have people like this who can encourage, who can see opportunities, who can see uh, people and their qualities, and who can see how they can fit in to a certain place and how they can be a great asset and how the Lord is moving and working and bringing people together. This is what we find here, the son of consolation, one who is a great encourager, who sees a talent and who wants to nurture and encourage that ta talent and ushers Saul into the apostles and gives his approval. And of course, we know what happened. He's welcomed there. And what happens? He goes on and he preaches. Yes, this man takes up the gospel again, and he speaks boldly like he did in Damascus. And the Grecian Jews, they're not happy with him. But it's important to realize that Barnabas was a good man who was able to judge character. 
Barnabas would never put Saul or let Saul be brought to the fellowship if he thought that Saul was a troublemaker. Oh yes, we know that through his preaching indeed there was trouble, but that wasn't caused by Saul. It was caused by the opposition that the people had to the truth. But Barnabas would never have put Saul or recommended Saul if he thought that Saul was going to disrupt the church and create havoc in the church. The book of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 10, cast out the scorner and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. Now he knew that Saul was not that kind of individual. And indeed, if someone is like that, they are to be cast out. But Saul was not of that character. Again, the book of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, I'm only going to read one or two of them because it begins that section in Proverbs 6, verse 16. It begins, These six things doth the Lord hate. These six things doth the Lord hate. And he lists a number of them. And one of them that the Lord hates, a false witness that spreadeth lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. This is something that God hates. Anyone who will sow discord among brethren, anyone who would come into a, a gospel congregation and seek to stir up strife, this is something that the Lord hates. Barnabas recognized that Paul was not of that character. Paul would be an asset. Something that every congregation in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria would love to have. And therefore, this son of consolation, this man who encourages things, he brings Saul and recommends him to the apostles. And because of Barnabas's recommendation, they receive him, and he proves indeed to be a prize, humanly speaking. He was a real prize, an asset to them, even although his preaching brought about men who sought the death of Saul himself. Friends, we need, we need to encourage one another. We need people who will encourage us. You need to encourage people. This is a ministry that Barnabas could undertake. Barnabas was not an apostle like Saul, or not an apostle like Peter. And he wasn't to go forth and to bring, spread the gospel like these individuals. But nevertheless, he had a very important ministry. 
and the church of the New Testament times would be bereft if Barnabas did not exercise his ministry. That quiet, behind-the-scenes ministry whereby he encouraged the people of God. And through his encouragement, the work of Christ, the cause of his kingdom, the spreading of the gospel, flourished and prospered. There may be many people, maybe that's too strong a term, but there may be some people who want the limelight. What is that man that's mentioned, I think, in second or third John? Is it Demetrius who seeks preeminence? There are people who seek preeminence. And friends, what we need is people who will encourage, people who have the spirit of Barnabas upon them, who will see people, who will see opportunities, and will seek to encourage them and bring on the cause of Christ. Well then, thirdly and finally, we want to look very briefly at Peter's ministry. What do we find this? Well, this is from verses 36 really to the end. Uh, 32 from, till the end. Peter passed throughout all quarters. He came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Here Peter went off on a um, preaching tour, an evangelistic mission. We are so glad to realize that the gospel was indeed making progress. It was going from uh, Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And if we're geography is correct. Lydda was about 25 miles from Jerusalem, and he heals an individual, Aeneas. It says here, which kept his bed eight years, and that could well be translated that he was in his bed from being eight years old. Whatever, he was a paralytic, he was sick of the palsy, he was bedridden, and Peter heals him. Ananias, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. This is what happened. And you can imagine how the people responded to this. All that dwelt at Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. This had a profound effect. Here, the apostle Peter, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, was able to undertake this notable miracle. Someone who had been bedridden was now up and about. His life had been restored. What a wonderful change. And good news always spreads. And there's another place mentioned here, Joppa, or Jaffa, as it may well be today. It was 12 miles from Lydda. And there someone had died. Well, who are we told? Tabitha, or also known as Dorcas. And Peter goes there. And she's lying upstairs, having been washed, ready, prepared for the funeral. And he puts everybody out, and he kneels before her. Tabitha, arise. Tabitha, arise. 
And this woman who was dead comes to life again. And as you can imagine, the people were overwhelmed. And many turned to the Lord. This is what we find. And many believed in the Lord. Many believed. And many believed in Lydda. And many believed in Joppa. When they saw these wonderful miracles that were performed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ through his servant, Peter the Apostle. And here we are encouraged because the church was growing, expanding, and flourishing. And as we shall see, the Lord was preparing for the next great move in the church when the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would come to the Gentiles in power and authority. And that's what we find in the next chapter. And we have a hint of a change in Peter himself, even a little hint there just at the end, this last verse, verse 43, for instance, it talks about Peter, and it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. Now you might well say, well, what can we derive from this? What's so special about this? Well, Peter was a Jew. He was staying with someone called Simon, a tanner. What does a tanner do? Well, a tanner is involved in the skins of dead animals. Jews would have nothing to do with dead things, dead bodies, dead animals. They would have nothing to do with that whatsoever. They would avoid that at all costs. But here was Peter staying there many days with Simon a tanner. And we could then see that the Lord is preparing Peter for another great change. And this is only a part of it. The very fact that he was comfortable to be in a home of a tanner, someone who dealt in death in some sense, is a great indication that God is moving and God is working. A little glimpse but yet it encourages us, even today. And friends, we'll take all the encouragement we can get. And we want to leave by taking this encouragement, that despite all the negatives that may well be around us, we have this great hope that God is always at work. We maybe cannot discern it. It's like when the farmer sows his seed. The seed dies. It goes into the ground. It dies. And ultimately it begins to grow. We don't know how. The farmer does his work. He can do no more. He sows it, and it grows. How it does, he doesn't know. God does. And this is our great hope. We have many things that might discourage us today. 
But friends, we are to rise above these things and we are to be encouraged because in the gospel age that we're living in, there are always encouraging times. And therefore, let us press on. Let us labor. And let us look for that day when we might reap a wonderful and glorious harvest. Nothing is impossible with our great God. Encouraging times. May the Lord be pleased to bless his word to us. Let us pray together.